On this episode of Mastering MS, we have two incredible guests. I mean, they're hard to get. It took, you know, months upon months of trying to get their people to connect with our people, and but we finally got them. It's me and, and me. Yes, we're going to talk about ourselves today <laughs> on this episode of Mastering MS. This is Mastering MS, and I'm Mike Marillo. I'm a reporter and anchor at WTOP in Washington, D.C., and I have MS. And I'm Nick Irons, and I'm a fitness professional in Washington, D.C., and my dad has MS. And today, we have an interesting show. We have two mm -hmm. wonderful guests. We do. Who are they? I hear they're pretty amazing people. Me and you. Oh, I'm sorry, folks, if you're <laughs> expecting something big. Oh. So we've been told that... You all like the podcast, but don't know who your hosts are. So I think it's time to fix that problem. All right, let's do it. It, it does help to like share our story some because throughout this podcast, we've gone into what we've dealt with when it comes to your dad having MS and being a family member for you and for me having MS and going through the, the whole process. So yeah, I'm excited to share my story with everybody. And Nick, I guess you are too. I always love talking about my story. So. <laughs> and yours is a lot more entertaining than mine. So yeah. why don't we start with yours? Nick, <laughs> your dad has had MS for 50 years. Yes. Uh, he told me when I was about 12, he told me that he had MS. He broke it, the news to my brothers and I that he had MS. And at the time, he didn't know what it meant because there were no treatments at the time. MRIs were brand new. Uh, he knew that things could happen in the future, but he really didn't know what those would be and uh, tried to get that message that he was going to, keeping it father like he usually would. And if something happened, we deal with it at that point. Your dad got that diagnosis that I heard about when I got my diagnosis of, we really can't help you. You just kind of got to go home and figure out your best course for this. Right, for him it was, he was a doctor. He knew what the medical book said about MS, which was not good at the time. So he was like, okay, I'll just go home and, and figure this out. And as we talk to a lot of our guests about this, what was it like for you? Talk about, you know, as a family getting this news and, you know, receiving it and what you guys did. The first feeling was a feeling of not knowing what that meant. And then over the years, it was sort of a feeling of helplessness. I always wanted to do something about it to help him, but never knew what I could do. But I came up with that idea eventually. You did. <laughs> you know, let's, let, let's get into that. And you, back in the time when not many people knew about MS, Nick got out there and raised awareness in, in some pretty incredible ways. Um, we'll start with the big swim. Okay, the big swim. Tell like us it. about your big swim of the Mississippi River, what that was all about. And it was obviously a way to raise awareness. So I was flying. I was living in Los Angeles for a while after college. And I was flying from L.A. to visit my parents in D.C. and flew over the Mississippi River. And for whatever reason, I looked down, and the first thought that popped into my head was, I should swim that. I wouldn't say that would be my first stop, but go for you. Go you. <laughs> you know, I come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. But when I got off the plane, uh, my dad was met me at the gate, and he was using a cane for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I sort of realized that he had gotten worse over the last you know amount of time that I hadn't seen him. Yeah. And when I flew back to L.A. a couple of weeks later, I again flew over the Mississippi, and I thought, you know, I could swim the Mississippi and help my dad get better at the same time. So that was sort of the birth of the idea. And a year and a half later, I jumped into the 56 degree water of the Mississippi. Wow. Talk about what it took to do this. You didn't just 
jump off a dock and then end up on the other side. There was a whole buildup here. There was a whole team that helped you through this. Oh, it was even before I jumped in the Mississippi, it was 18 months of fundraising and getting boats and figuring out if it was legal, which <laughs> <laughs> nobody really knew if it was legal. So <laughs> I Ask did for forgiveness. They always say, right? <laughs> Everybody we called and we were like, uh, is it legal? So in the midst of, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked that. That's crazy. So we just sort of assumed that the answer was yes, it was legal. So it was a year and a half of planning and getting ready for it. And you have to keep in mind, I'm not a detail guy. So, so a year and a half planning a fundraiser was uh, not exactly my strong suit, but I made it happen. And it was a whole family undertaking too, because talk about who was on the boat and who was booking your hotel rooms. Yeah, it was a total family affair. My mom was our PR person. My brother, Andy, was in a small 12-foot inflatable boat in front of me. My dad was booking us hotel rooms along the way. And I have an older brother, John, who was doing our website uh, from his home in Boston. He was doing our website. So started on June 1st, and I jumped in the Mississippi River and swam 1,600 miles down the Mississippi. And, of course, this was all to raise awareness and, and talk about, you know, the media appearances. You were national as, as you did this. You were getting coverage from all over the place. Yeah. The first media coverage we got was on Good Morning America, and they picked us up on a couple of days before I left and followed me pretty much down the river. So I was on three times on that and everything you can imagine. Every, you know, the Washington Post, the WTOP. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so everything you can imagine, uh, we were on. So, and it made it easier. My parents could call a little small town in Mississippi and say, you know, the guy who's swimming in the Mississippi. <laughs> you know, the crazy guy in the water out there right. he needs a place to yeah, stay. So they all knew, they all knew the stories. So that's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and you got that, that awareness raise and you got that chance. What was it like to get out there? I mean, did you get a lot of feedback from folks who had MS? Obviously, you know, your dad, yeah, I love talking to him about it because you could tell the pride your family had and, and how proud they were of you for what you did. But did you get that, that external validation from a lot of the people out there? We met so many people with MS, so many people in every stage of their disease. Uh, and from people who were newly diagnosed to people who'd had it like my dad for a long time at that point. So we met some incredible people. When I started my swim, it was amazing how many people got MS and muscular dystrophy confused. So they were like, oh, yeah, I, I give to the telethon every year. I'm like, no, Not the you Gary don't. One. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but it, it was incredible, the awareness that brought. And also, I think it helps some people be okay telling people they love and know about their MS. Well, your dad really didn't talk to a lot of people, right, yeah, before this. Exactly. The first time he let people know about it was standing on the bank of the river on Good Morning America. So he he had to really come out 100%. He didn't have, have to, but that was one of his many <laughs> contributions to the swim. And that, that must have just felt so rewarding to you that you getting out there and doing that actually gave some people the strength to talk about it. Because we've talked about... We're in a totally different place right right now. Yes, there's still a stigma, I'm sure, for some people when it comes to having this illness. But for many of us, we're willing to talk out about it. That was not the case that was decades not, ago. That was not the case. Uh, most people came out eventually when sort of like Art, our first guest on the show, uh, when people thought that he was drinking. You know, I mean, it was it was that's the reason he came out with it. So a lot of times earlier in the history of MS, people would be walking and thinking 
you know, it looked like they had had too much to drink. So, and that was interesting in his case too. Of course, we're talking about Art Alexakis, the lead singer of Everclear. Our first episode, by the way, a shameless plug to back to our first episode. You should check it out. But he had, he had a great story. But you're right. I mean, that's really pretty much the time most people came out when it came to a point where people were saying, "There's is there something wrong with them?" So instead of having the rumor mill go about you know, and make up things on what might be going on with you. You know, you just came out and said it, right? Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people felt comfortable telling people they knew and loved about their MS after, you know, after more people knew what MS was. How much did you raise? So between my swim and uh, the next event we're going to talk about, it mm-hmm. was right around a half a million dollars for MS research. Wow. And then the, the other part was really was the, uh, the, awareness that it brought yeah. so between the two events we pretty much kept ms in the news for almost a year of national news so um so after i finished my swim i was sitting around with andy my brother who went mm-hmm. on the trip with me and my mom and probably one too many bottles of wine <laughs> when they're like oh my god think about how much easier it would be if we did another fundraiser and because of the people we had met and all the things we had learned and the internet was up better that time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so they said, Nick, what are you gonna do now? What's next? What's next? <laughs> I said, uh, I think I'll do a bike ride. Wow. And I wasn't a cyclist, but I was like, hey, I swam down the Mississippi. How hard could biking be? And of so, course, this isn't a bike ride around like a neighborhood nope. or. <laughs> I decided to bike the perimeter of the United States. Wow. So it was a 10,000 mile ride that took five months to do. Your so. backside must have hurt after that. Thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, talk about it. So yeah. what was the undertaking for that? Yeah. I mean, how, how did that work out for you? Was it a, a yeah. family affair again? It was. It was. I started in D.C., Went down to Tallahassee, Florida, across to San Diego, up to Seattle, across to New York City, and back down. So it was literally a big loop in the United States. The toughest time of the whole trip for me mm-hmm. was I went from San Diego to the Oregon border on the Pacific Coast Highway, okay. which I don't know if you've ever I've seen. I've not, know. Basically, it's right along the water. Every right. Car commercial that you've seen that's driving along that you know the mountain the yeah, mountain on one side I'm picturing yeah. it right now exactly <laughs> so that that's the Pacific Coast Highway okay and you can imagine going from San Diego to the Oregon border is probably about a month of the trip and it goes from sea level to about twenty five hundred feet and back down again over and over and over and over and there's also a prevailing twenty mile an hour wind that goes north to south. So wow. I was going into the into a headwind, oh my. Uh, up hills, down hills for about a month. So the downhills are great, but it's the uphills. Well, or was give, it not? Well, to give me an idea, there's one time it took me. I was on a hill that took me like 40 minutes to get up this hill. Okay, and then it was quite downhill on the way down, and I still had to pedal on the way down because the wind was was so in my face. I wow. couldn't even rest on the way down the hill. I had to pedal to. Get, I was like, come oh on. How cool, man. And then, yeah. so how much did you raise with so all that, that? That's between the, so it was half a million dollars between the oh, two. Both of them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, between the two. So, uh, and so the bike ride was once again, uh, Good Murray America followed us. So, we, I was able to call the same people who I'd met on the swim to do the bike ride. How cool. So, it was a great, an absolutely incredible event. You know, and I, I want to take it back. I want to talk to you about what got you into personal training because 
I happen to know that yeah. it was your dad that, in a way, got you into doing what you do today. Talk a bit yeah, about that. So let me. So after my bike ride, okay, people always came up to me. They asked me how I was able to swim the Mississippi, and. I never really understood why they're asking that because I was just like, you know, it's something I decided to do and I figured out how to I do it and it. I did it. You know, <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? How do I do it? I just did it. But then one day I looked at a map of the United States and looked at the Mississippi River and sort of hit me. How the hell did I do that? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have this thought yes, before I went on exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was enough distance had passed yeah. that. I decided uh, to figure out for myself what it took to swim 1,600 miles down the Mississippi. Wow. And actually wrote a book about it, yep. uh, which I should have one right, right I know, here. you're a bad marketer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm talking about it on our podcast. Exactly, so. we'll, we'll flash one on the video screen here too. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it was a book called Swim Lessons, 10 Secrets for Making Any Dream Come True. Mm -hmm. And it was basically, a book I wrote for myself to figure out how in the world I was able to do something as crazy as swimming 1600 miles, but then realize that there was things that everybody could use to make a dream come true. And that's sort of how, my, how I got to fitness is my whole, whatever, everything that drives me mm -hmm. is helping other people. So uh, I got to fitness to help people get as, in shape as they can to live the best life they can with MS, with whatever the issue is that they're dealing with. So that's how I got into fitness was my dad had a personal trainer. He'd had a trainer. He started working out when he was, when it was like 1984 is when he went to the first gym. Mm -hmm. So uh, he's been always been working out. I've always watched him with these trainers. And I was like, I could do that. I mean, that's, you know, I couldn't, yeah. So I got certified as a trainer to help him and help him uh, with his MS. That's how I met Nick, by the way. We met when I was looking for a personal trainer after my diagnosis, but you wanted someone who knew the illness because, and we talked about this in other episodes, and we'll make you talk about it all now, but you know, every case shows differently. Everybody has different symptoms and that sort of thing. So for you, you had this unique skill set going in just by being your dad's son. Exactly, I'd seen him and how he progressed, but I also got to know what the MS walk is like and what the MS gait is like. And because people at different stages of their disease have similar muscles that get weak or get tight, that type of thing. We talked about this a lot in, our, <laughs> in episode three, I believe it is, but on <laughs> exercise. But um, yeah, it's, it's nice knowing what that person's going through mm -hmm. uh, to help them with their MS. One of the th reasons why doing a podcast to me is important mm -hmm. is like I said, I believe that everybody has an, a goal or a dream that they want to make happen, or they should. And it doesn't matter if you have MS or don't have MS. Everybody has something they want to accomplish. And I think that everybody should go yeah. for it. Your goal doesn't have to be to swim the Mississippi River, but there are a lot of things that you may have just you know, said, I can't do that. Give it a shot. See what exactly. happens. I'd say don't give it a shot. Do it. <laughs> what did you used to tell me when, we, when, when I started working? I guess we'll get into my story a bit. Yeah. So in 2016, I don't have as exciting of a story, but in 2016, I was out covering a story in Annapolis at the uh, Naval Academy that's in Annapolis. So, you know, a nice, big, beautiful campus. So I was walking around uh, talking to uh, former midshipmen and stuff. So while I was doing it, though, you know, I'm 31 years old, 32 at the time. And 
I never had any issues like walking or feeling fatigued and that sort of thing. I couldn't make it more than like a few feet. I had to finally tell them, can we go to this park bench and sit down? Wow. So it, it frightened me because I knew something was up immediately. And then later on in the day, I started noticing too. I think it was there at the time I was fatigued, but you start noticing things, right? So once I was fatigued, I started noticing tingling from my waist down. And I still have it. I have it right now. And it comes back and forth at times. Thankfully, that's that sounds all. fun. Yeah, exactly. You get used to it, though. It's like it's. I always joke. It's like it's like you're numbing your legs for a surgery or something. But it's just that first start of it, you know, where you still feel everything, but it feels a little weird. So that was my first, I guess, very obvious neurological part of this, which is which I think helped me get to my diagnosis quicker. When you have something weird, as, as the doctor said, you have something squirrely neurologically. So he said we should check you for MS. That's what I actually went to an urgent care, and that's and he quickly said, yeah, that's squirrely. You should really get this checked for something like MS. Wow. And he was dead on. It ended up being uh, that. So MRIs later, all the way up, and you know the the fun of the MRIs. All the MS sufferers out there, <laughs> you, you know what it's like to have to sit in the tube, especially at the beginning, because they want to do every part of your back and your yeah. brain, and yelling at you not to breathe as much, you know. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm stuck in a tube. But anyway, you know, so then finally got the diagnosis. And right after that, I decided, well, what can I do here? Well, first of all, I can talk to a doctor and, you know, figure out what my therapy course is going to be. But then also I can get myself in shape because I was well over 200 pounds. I can get myself in shape. So then I started looking for a personal trainer to really get that aspect of my and life together. And, you know, I went through some people <laughs> and then I found this guy. Yes, of course. And that, so, and I found you because I stumbled across your yep. story. I didn't know what I needed at the time. So I'm like, well, I want someone who knows this illness. Well, fortunately, as I started working out, I realized a lot of the feelings and things I thought maybe were MS. That's why I didn't mention them earlier. There were some other things. Of course, the, uh, the numbness and the fatigue was an MS attack. A lot of the other stuff, just feeling down for a long period, it was because I wasn't in shape. So that's that's MS Mike. Yep. Tell us about the radio mic. Tell us how how'd you uh, tell us how'd you get into radio? So radio. Well, I was 14 years old and I couldn't drive, and there was a radio station down the road. Child labor. Yeah, that's right. How exactly. You radio. I know, right? So 14, maybe I was 15. I don't know, but anyway, old enough to hold a part time job. So <laughs> I could get my get on my bike and get to the radio station, but we kind of lived. It used to be the country. It's not anymore. But in Florida, where I grew up, it used to be more country. Like so, and a lot further to get to the grocery store, or to, you know, do the normal like you know part time job. Yeah. So, and my sister already got a job at this radio station. She's also a reporter at WTOP. So we happen to share the same station, first station too. That's where she started before she moved elsewhere. So I knew the owners and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, I'll try that too. See if I like it. So I got into a job there. That was a little small radio station where I got to you know really break in. You make your mistakes there, so yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And I'm making them here. Exactly right. right. You get to make it on a, na- uh, a bigger scale. <laughs> than I did. Kept that part-time job through high school, went to the University of Central Florida for, surprisingly, a journalism and degree in, in addition to a music minor. So you can't see them all around me, but I have my, this is my home and we have the musical instruments pushed off to the side. So you can't see them, but music's also a, that's the piano. That's and, it, piano. <laughs> and from there, I, as we call it, the radio gypsy life. So I started in Orlando, uh, right near UCF, literally after I graduated from college, I had a job being held for me and I started the next Monday after I graduated wow. that Saturday full time. So started doing that. I was a mix of a producer at first, but they started having me do news at that radio station. And lo and behold, I, from there I went from Orlando and I jumped, I did a big jump to New York city <laughs> and uh, went to a radio station in New York city, Philadelphia, and then wound up at this great place I'm at now, WTOP. I've been here for uh, since 2013 and 
a reporter and anchor. So I get to, I like the mix too, because I get to sit inside and report all the news sometimes. And then I get to get outside and go yeah. get to meet people, cover stories and that sort of thing. So a very rewarding job, but that's the quick, so that's, long story that's short. The long, that's the, so that's the, that's the radio mic. So that is. how, uh, how is your MS affected your, your work? Has it yet? You know, it really hasn't. Yet. And one thing I've learned through this, and I'm sure a lot of other people who get the diagnosis as well, I never listened to my body before. I pushed it, and that's just normal, right? When you're younger, you're just you're trying to build your career, everything else. You just push, 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 push. Yeah. And even when I was dead tired, I would push myself. And looking back, there were little signs that the MS was creeping around. You know, like I would have a little tingling in my feet, almost like something was crawling in my feet. And they're like, well, that could have been that, you know? Yeah. So, so, but anyway, I would push myself and push myself until I'm just dead exhausted. Ever since I got the diagnosis, thankfully getting in shape has given me more energy. So I have a lot more energy, but I still have those days. And you still have those days where you're just, the fatigue hits you, whatever. You're symptomatic. Usually for me, the big one, if I don't get enough sleep and stress. So if I can keep those at bay, I'm usually pretty good. But those days, you still have stressful days. You still have those days where you don't get enough sleep. And I'll listen to my body. I'll say, all right, I need to go take a nap. Yeah. Or I need to do that. I never did that. I, I'm okay with that also. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, but that's something I never did. Like I was always just a push through. That's always been in my family's DNA. If you know my dad, you know my sisters. There's no slowing down. And I have Got that it. too. But I had to learn, okay, is it worth it? And I hate to say it, sometimes I feel like I kind of, uh, in the past, would threaten myself. You know what this could be if you get more exacerbations and, you know, you have more issues. Is it worth it? And so I'll be rationalizing in my nice. head. One thing I've learned, too, you feel your blood pressure go up to 100 when you're stressed, right? Yeah. But I think that's going to always happen. That still happens. But it's how quick can you get it back down to normal level, right? <laughs> so when you have frustrating things happen, you know, you don't have to tell yourself, is this worth it? And that's what I do for myself. And then I'll feel my blood pressure go down and I'm pretty good. Nice. You know, so anyway, it's just, it's been listening to my body more, you know, trying to stop stress a lot faster than I ever did before. I would stew on things for days. I'll tell you, it would be day after day. It's something that didn't really matter, right? But for me, I would stew on it for several days. And yeah. An unhealthy yeah. habit, especially with MS. And you're better about that now? I'm a lot better. Oh, good. I, I can let things go a lot more. And the illness has helped me. We are talking about, you know, is there any positives from yeah. getting the, well, I would say that's a huge one. My stress was not as well in check as it is now. And it's be, a lot of it is because I know I need to be pay attention to that. It honestly isn't worth it to get stressed, especially over things that don't matter really when the scheme of things I would say someone going to die. It's probably not worth stressing over, right? <laughs> you know. So and now, if it is, then yeah, you're okay yeah. to be stressed, right? <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's kind of the that inner dialogue with yourself that I now have and listen to more. And I still do a lot more. And I still don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't push myself. You know, I'm I, I definitely push myself. Yeah, but I'm listening. If I'm really fatigued. It's crazy to keep on going. Just right. take a break if you can and and relax. And sometimes with doing the job and stuff too, that's just, you know, if I'm having one of those days and I'm out in the field, you know, go relax for a little bit. Go work on a park bench. You know, it doesn't have to be I go to sleep. It can right. just be, you know, you can just relax and not push yourself to go running around and do everything. So fortunately for me, though, as I said, once I got into shape, not as many symptoms. Good. Really, it's just the numbness. And as they said, I have more sensory issues. So I... I'm thankful for that because, you know, I don't and have not pain. And not to break HIPAA rules, but 
your MRIs are still doing well. So, yes, that's yeah. right too. Yeah, all right. I give you her. <laughs> I give you permission. But yeah, no, I've been monitoring it, and every few years, uh, every year, I get an MRI, and we've gotten to the point where my doctor just said uh, recently, I think we just need to do every eighteen months because I've had no new lesions. That's great. So it's it's great news to hear, and of course with MS, as as we say, there's no new lesions. We still need to look for symptoms, right? So I'm still on the lookout if anything happens because. MS is squirrely, as that first doctor put it. So you could have no new lesions, but still have some new symptoms crop up. You just don't know. So, of course, I'm on the lookout for that. I'll let my doctor know and that sort of thing. But fortunately, so far, you know, other than some fatigue and the uh, sensory type numbness that I guess, and I hate to call it numbness because I could feel everything. Yeah. But anyway, it's that right. sort of feeling. That's really all I've had so far. So, and again, 2016 was my diagnosis. So, you know, what were you at? Eight years now? Yeah. Almost, wow. almost eight years. So, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful. And a lot of it is, you know, I'm going to give you some cred because raising awareness back in the time you did those, you know, the swims, you did yep. the, the bike. That's when it became the hot disease because of the awareness. That's when you get the research dollars, right? So now we have more than we, the last we checked, I think it was 23, but I know we're over that now. So we're probably well over 23 actual therapies. And I've gone over to like the first one I had and they, they impact everybody differently too. That's why I don't really mention what I'm on because I feel every therapy is different. And it is, we talk about this with my doctor all the time. He's with the last medicine I was on, everybody was doing fun. Most people were doing fine with, I wasn't, I was getting sick for a longer period. So if I got an illness, I was sick for a month. And yep. we finally said, maybe that's a side effect of the drug, but other people were doing great. But he's like, I think it's no longer a coincidence here. We're going to try something new. The newer thing works for me. So, you know, and that, and that's it too, right? Be ready, especially if you're newly diagnosed, be ready to kind of try things out and just be open with your doctor and find that doctor too, who's willing to connect with you more often, right? Have that doctor you can reach out to and just send an email to, and you know, they'll respond to you. I think that's an important part too. I was doing that a lot to my doctor at first, like, should I be worried about this or that? And I know it gets annoying to them, but for you, you're trying to figure it out. Right. So I would recommend if you're, if you're like me anyway, you know, have that doctor <laughs> that you can reach out at first until you kind of figure out what your new, new norm, I guess is um, with it. And that doctor, if you have those symptoms who can get you in quickly, cause we talk about with exacerbations, right? Some of it is going in, getting steroids, potentially there are all, there are ways to try to help you with the symptoms and that sort of thing or help you with an exacerbation. And you have to be more open too, right? Maybe you shouldn't ignore everything. <laughs> so, and I was kind of like that at first too. Yeah. If it didn't impact my day-to-day -day life, I might not have gone to the doctor for it, but you know, that's, that's unhealthy in so many ways, right? Cause we have so many illnesses that can crop up. So one of the things that friends of mine or people who have listened to this podcast have asked me is why are you doing a podcast about MS? Uh, that's sort of a, thing I'd like to talk about. So what, yeah. for, as far as, uh, Mike, why do you want to do an MS podcast? Because when I got the diagnosis, there were a couple podcasts out there and, and there are actually some, they've, they've grown since then. And I've listened to them. They're great. But when I got it, at least I couldn't find a lot of things like that. So I ended up going down the Google rabbit hole. As most people know, that's never a good place to go. <laughs> and you start seeing all these pictures and how people are doing and, you know, it's a scary diagnosis enough, but then I, you know, the reporter and me wanted to know everything and maybe I shouldn't have known everything. I don't know, <laughs> but I wanted a, a place to talk about the illness and I'll also talk to current doctors, yep. people who are working on it now, because it is so rapidly evolving. That's the one thing I've learned doing this podcast. We've talked to a couple of doctors and you know, they'll be coming in a future podcast, but 
there's a lot happening and it's actually very fast right now. So yes, we don't have a way to treat the demyelination that you know, happens when you have those attacks on the protective myelin on your spine and you have those holes. So your body scars over whatever, and you don't have the, but we're getting close to that. I mean, there are a lot of doctors talking about, we could have ways to treat that down the road. I mean, yep. there's a lot of research. So I wanted to have that outlet back to your question, that outlet where we can talk to those people so you can see what's coming down the pike and maybe what's out there that you didn't realize is out there. You know, not every town has a specialist in MS, right? right? You know, I'm very fortunate. I live in the Washington, D.C. area. There's a (laughs) lot of specialists in in what I have here. And I'm very fortunate I found the doctor I did. He's a specialist, Uh you know, um, a shout out to Dr. Shin at Georgetown Neurology. Um, But, you know, I've been very fortunate, but not everybody is. And that's what my hope is. This can be a resource and also a sense of strength because we're talking to people who, why, yes, they talk about the difficulties that can come with having the illness, but they're living their lives back to art, right? You know, he's still on a stage. He's like, I might not be jumping off the speakers anymore, <laughs> but he says that, you know, he's, he's out, he's still out there. He's still performing, you know, being a musician on the road that he's still right. doing it all. He didn't let it slow him down. Or, or a guest who climbed Mount Everest with him. And there you go. Yeah. So Lori who climbed <laughs> Mount Everest after her diagnosis, you know, most of us are like, well, this is it, you know? And I, and I think that's too, one of the things I hope this would help with is it is easy to get in your head, right? Where yep. you're like, I can't do that anymore. That'd be dumb to even try because I have this. And all of a sudden you give yourself this block and yep. this wall to hit that doesn't necessarily need to be there. Yep. What about I you? started when we originally talked about this, Rich, the idea for the podcast came basically while we were working out. It was. And <laughs> we talked so much during our workouts. We should have just had a microphone going then. We would have had several more episodes. <laughs> so we were talking at, at uh, while work, working out, and it sort of struck me how much I've learned about MS over the years. Uh, and I've kept up with the research and that type of thing. And I feel like I could give a an uh, MS 101, which we may do in the future, but MS 101, basically telling people uh, what MS is, that type of thing. So I've built this great knowledge out there about MS. And more than that, I come at it from the standpoint of a family member of MS. And the podcasts and a lot of the things are out there for MS are based on people focused on the person who has MS and not the family members. And really with a big diagnosis like this, family members are affected in their own way. So I sort of wanted to do a podcast for the family members of people who have MS to get their point of view out there, to get help for them, to helping their loved ones, that type of thing. So I, I really hope that in this podcast we can help the family members of those with MS as well as the people living with it. And we talk about the importance, my family, and I was dating somebody at the time, you know, all those people were integral in helping me get through the diagnosis because, you know, you have a lot going on and it's a lot to take in. It's like any other, like a cancer diagnosis. I think there's that process for everybody. You're, you're grieving in almost a way that you've gotten, that you've received this diagnosis. Yeah. So having that family there, but as you said, I, that's why I thought it was such a unique idea when we both talked about, should we have a podcast? that you do have that unique angle of the family and friends because family and friends want to support. Absolutely. They, they want to help, you know, their, their loved ones uh, with this sort of thing, but they might not know how to or where to start. Exactly. And that's, that's what I was hoping that could help the MS community with is uh, from the, the family standpoint. And 
One of the things we've talked about that we've gone back and forth a lot on this podcast about is trying to figure out what to call people with MS. Yeah. Uh, it's, you've heard MS, MSer, you've heard MS sufferer. And I think I still fall back on that. So <laughs> yeah, I apologize. No. We're not always suffering with it, but <laughs> the radio world and the news reporting, you know, yes. it just comes out. I think I said it earlier. <laughs> yes. I, I almost called you on it, but, but the research shows that people, it's not MS, but it was done on other diseases. And I think it was people who were dealing with depression. Yeah. And it comes out, it came out that people have a better course of their disease if they don't think of it as them. You know, yeah. if you don't think I, this is the sole, the sum total of who I am is my MS. You have a big so, label on your chest, exactly. MS. Right. You know? So that's yeah. why I was trying to say you're not an MSer. You're not, you happen to have MS. It's not who you are. It's, Yes, it's part of you, but but it's not the sole uh, sum of who you are. I know that's easy for me to say from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> for somebody who doesn't have it, I know that's easy for me to say, but uh, I can see how easy it is to pretty much think every day or wake up every day thinking, okay, what is my MS going to be today? Yeah. That's not who you are. You're Mike. But you know, you say it's easy for you to say, but your, your dad, you care immensely about. I mean, you're there all the time with him, and so... You feel it just as much as we, the person with it, feel it. Our family members, our friends. If you're really close to somebody and you see them go through, especially the harder times, you know, you're taking in the same stress. So that's one thing, too, I, I've always thought was important with this podcast to bring out. And we've talked about this with others, you know, the, the stress. I mean, yeah, you might not have it, but you're feeling a lot of the same stuff yeah. by the end of the day because, you know, the whole emotional angle of it, you know, for anybody, if you truly care about somebody and they're going through tough times, it, you yeah. feel it, too. Absolutely. So, and, and that's one thing I think you brought up too, is, you know, one thing I've learned throughout the podcast and it's interesting and it's something I'm watching out for, for myself is just the mental toll the MS can have. Speaking of that, like your loved ones, but also someone with MS, it can show up as anxiety, depression and everything else. So going back to, you know, helping the family support the person with MS or even vice versa, right? Anybody, you may be the person with MS helping your, your loved one who's going through it's, tough times. It's also amazing how there are times that the family members notice things that the person with MS doesn't notice. 100%. So you, we can say, hey, what's happening with your right hand? And on, with my dad's standpoint, what's happening with the right hand? Uh, where he may feel a little numbness in his hand, but he's not noticing that he's not using it as much or yeah. that type of thing. So somebody from the outside can easily look and say, okay, I think you need to ask your doctor about your right hand next time you see him, that type of thing. So it's always nice having somebody from the outside able to look and see the issues that you may not even notice. What are some of the other things you think you've learned that if you didn't have a dad with MS, to the, you know, what are some of the things you can now easily oh look God. out for? I know it's a long list. <laughs> yeah. Pick your top five. You know, yeah. what, are, what are some of the things that having a, a father with MS has really opened your eyes to and made you uh, realize? I would, for him, it's just a day-to-day I don't want to say struggle, but it's, it's, you know, he's at the point now he started out having relapsing remitting and, uh, it has since pretty much turned to secondary progressive and it is what it is now. So yeah. he really doesn't get flare ups or exacerbations anymore. He, he pretty much is where he is. Uh, and for him, the more he can use his muscles, the better he is. So yes, he has numbness in his right hand. He can't feel his right hand. 
And the natural thing to do would be to stop using your right hand because you can't, you know, if he tries to type, you can't feel the yeah. keys, that type of thing. But if he stops using his right hand, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So yeah. it's amazing how much if you keep trying to use those muscles, uh, it does, you know, it doesn't fix it, but it's going to at least slow down the, the progression of it. So uh, that's that's one I'd say is just even though it's harder, yeah. just keep keep doing it. So, and the other thing is, I'd say there's a lot of ways that the MS community has made it day-to-day -day living easier with MS mm -hmm. that may actually make it worse in the long run. So, like one of the things that used to be, I don't know if it's still, uh, used to be is they said if you're, there's only so long you can stand up. Is yeah. what they said it, during the day. If you have MS, you're gonna get tired standing up at some point. So, if you're cooking dinner, do a rolling chair in the you know, and then get up and down uh, from the rolling chair as you're cooking dinner. To me, that's just in the long run is gonna make you weaker because you're not using those muscles as much. So, uh, and I'd say just stay as active as humanly possible. And I feel that's changed. Like I've never got any restrictions. Good. Like my first question was, when's the wheelchair coming? You know, really, I'm just kind yeah. of a matter of fact guy. So <laughs> I went to my doctor. I said, when do I expect the wheelchair? And he's like, you know, with the right medicine, therapy, whatever you want to call it, there's a chance you'll never be in a wheelchair. And yeah. the more I've learned about it. Yeah. There are a lot of people, you know, who you who do really well. And essentially the disease gets shut down by whatever they whatever therapy they chose or whatever route they chose to, you know. I guess, respond to the MS diagnosis. Yeah. So what messages would you like uh, people through our podcast to to have? Are there any that you would love? If, if somebody said, oh, my God, I got this from the podcast, what would it what would you like? Well, for those with MS is that you don't have to start limiting yourself. You know, obviously, if you have depending on your situation, maybe there might be some. But for the most part, if you if you're if you're like me anyway, where, you know, you, you have it you know, do what you need to do to get it treated. But doesn't mean you have to, as we talked to one of our guests, uh, Kathy, who said she she was told to quit her job, go home and live with her parents, right? Right after the diagnosis, you know, we're not in that day and age right. anymore. Just go out there and live your life, you know, maybe listen to your body more, but, you yep. know, get out there, live your life and to have hope. That's a big thing with the podcast too, is it helps to hear other people talk about it. The other thing I want to get out there too, know that I know some people don't believe they'll see a cure in their lifetime, but and we might actually have a way to give you back your use, your dad, you know, something yep. to like repair the damage that's done by an attack. So have that hope and learn about what's out there and that'll help you hopefully get some hope. Yep. So for me, I'd say there's two things that I would love for people to get from this. One is also that sense of hope that, uh, that, this is a great time to be living with the disease and there is never a great diagnosis, but there's yes. better times than others to get exactly. it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so that's one thing is, is it's a good time and there is hope out there for other treatments. And uh, so the, a sense of hope is one. The other is what I talked about earlier is a sense that your MS doesn't have to stop you. I would love it if people with MS and their families realize that they can still live great, wonderful, happy, successful, whatever that means to you, lives with, with the yeah. disease. And I think that's what we hope here, right? You know, it's just, yes, it's a horrible diagnosis. And yes. It can be. It can, yeah. 
Oh, it's still a horrible yeah, that's diet. True, that's true. I refuse yeah. to say it's not a. It, <laughs> no true. one wants to get that okay. one. I'll tell you. The, <laughs> two, two, two letters you never want anybody to tell you you have. But anyway, it's a horrible diagnosis, but everybody's impacted differently. And if you talk to someone who's had it for 20 years, you might not end up like they are if they're not doing well with it, that sort of thing. Right. It's just because times have changed. There's so many different you know, treatments, as I talked about earlier. Don't let it stop you. Exactly. Don't don't put the brakes on life because you got that. And we also want this podcast to be for people in the whole range of their MS. You know, newly diagnosed people will obviously have different things they're looking for out of a podcast than somebody who's had it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. But we want the sense of community that there are people out there uh, helping the MS cause and thinking about them and working for them. 100%. Well, I hope you got some insight into our lives and what brought us here. Yeah. So next time you're listening to our podcast, which I hope is every couple of weeks when we put them out, you'll know who we are. We're not just some two uh, (laughs) voices coming from your headphones or from however you listen to your podcast. We're people who have been dealing with this and are dealing with this on a daily basis. And we're so thankful for you two to like to tune in and, and, and give us feedback. Mastering.ms is our website. And we do have a, a way for you to contact us. So we want to hear your ideas, you know, who you'd like to hear on the podcast. Do you want to join us? You know, let us know because we don't necessarily need to talk to all famous people, you know, <laughs> who have the illness, you yes. know, we can learn so much from everybody. Actually, your dad will be He's pretty he's famous the next, though now. He's been on Good He's Mark the America, next episode. We we went to be. his basement <laughs> and interviewed him there. So uh, you get to hear about my swim down the Mississippi from the standpoint <laughs> of the guy who is the inspiration for somebody swimming the Mississippi for him. I tried to get all the juicy stories about Nick as a kid, but dad wouldn't give him up. I'm sure there's some good ones. But anyway, yeah. but yeah, no, it. but that's the thing. We want your ideas. We want this to be a, you know... A, it's a community and we're all we're all in this together right so let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear more of you know or less of or less of (laughs) hey we can take some criticism so mastering.ms is our website and tell your friends help spread the word on this podcast too we'd love you to do that and again apple podcasts and mastering.ms is the website we give out because everything is on there so instead of a .com.ms um but go there we have all the links uh, to all the different ways you can listen and hope you subscribe but thanks for listening to us talk about us (laughs) see you next time have a good one I'm Mike Marillo. And I'm Nick Irons. And this has been the Mastering MS Podcast.